We are officially in the yellow tier as a city. Come on, can I get a woot woot? We are in the yellow tier as a city here in San Francisco. We're actually the first in the Bay Area to move into the yellow tier. And so if you're an Enneagram type 3 or super competitive, we are winning, okay? And things are starting to reopen. Um, My barber was telling me the other day that she went to a bar for the first time in over a year. You know, I bet people are starting to enjoy indoor dining for the first time in forever. I've been going to the movie theater every other week, even though all the movies that are coming out are trash. It's just so fun being in a movie theater, and I missed it. People are buying tickets to music festivals and concerts. I saw so many people in our community on Instagram this week anxiously waiting in virtual line for the Porter Robinson tickets. I know some got some, but everyone is starting to come out. Things are starting to reopen slowly but surely. And while this is a good thing, like Pauline and I were talking before service as extroverts, we're so excited. We're like eagerly anticipating to get back in person and get back to regular life. I imagine that for some, for a great many, There's also this strange feeling of anxiety as we move into this next phase of the pandemic. Something as small as when I see people at church, do I give them a hug or do I give them a dap or an elbow tap? Today I accidentally hugged someone without consent. That is not okay. Elbow tap is the default or maybe just a wave. I don't know what to do. I feel anxious. Or maybe, how many of you forgot how to socialize in person? Like, I don't know how to be around so many people. How do I get over this social anxiety? How do we go back to normal after a year like the one we just experienced? And what even is normal now? Maybe you're asking the same questions. It's exciting, but also scary to begin imagining what does life look like post-pandemic? What's my job going to look like post-pandemic? What is my classroom, my school, my education going to look like post-pandemic? What's our city going to look like? Like how many restaurants that we loved closed down? Like what do we do? How do we deal with all of this? And I think this is true of the church too. By now we've adjusted to a new normal of what doing church looks like. Uh, Most of y'all in our church are online. There's a a few that came in person, but we've adjusted to this new normal of what church looks like in the pandemic. But as things are starting to reopen, we're starting to ask, what does the church look like post-pandemic? I believe that there are times in our lives where we're just called to just survive. And I think for many of us, that's what this last year was all about. I just need to get through it. I just need to survive. I mean, give yourself credit because we've lived through one of the most craziest years. Even our parents couldn't have fathomed. And even for many restaurant owners, you know, their measure of success this past year was just staying open, just surviving. You know, how many restaurants do we know had to close their doors? They say in the restaurant business, if you're still around right now, that's considered success. Right, And maybe that's true for many of us, too. The fact that we just survived a pandemic is the victory in and of itself. And so there are seasons where we're just called to survive. But there are also seasons where God calls us to dream. And I believe that in this hour, God is moving not just our church, but the church into a place where he's calling us to dream once 
again. I believe God is calling us to begin dreaming about what God can do among us now that we're regathering, to begin dreaming about the type of community that we want to create, the type of churches we want to build here in San Francisco, to begin dreaming about what kind of house we can build together as a community. If you don't know by now, I'm going to be preaching an Enneagram Type 7 sermon today. That's what today is about because today I want to stir your hearts to imagine what church can be post-pandemic, what 99 can look like after coming out of this hellish year. And so as the world around us reopens, the question I want to ask you today is this, what is God calling you to reopen your heart to? As God reopens, not God, oh, I guess God, as San Francisco reopens, I guess God is reopening, whatever. As San Francisco reopens, what is God calling us as the church to reopen our hearts to? And I believe right now, I believe today, for many of us, God is reopening our hearts to dream and hope for the church once again. We cannot go back to the way it was. And if anything, pandemic showed us what we as the church need to change in order to move forward. So we can't be the same church coming out of the pandemic as we were coming into it. And so how do we hope, how do we dream again for what this community can be? Throughout this collection, we've been asking, how do we be the church in this cultural moment? And so today I want to invite you to dream with me to sync with my Enneagram type sevenness, because I've been itching to preach in front of a live audience. It feels so good. And just today, I want you to track with me as we begin to open our hearts again to what the church is and what the church is called to be in this hour to reimagine the post-pandemic church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the church. Thank you that we get to gather again. And even for those who can't be with us in person, thank you that we have the the technology and the freedom to be able to gather in the sacred place, whether it's in, in person or digitally. We thank you for the church. Today, I pray you would give us a newfound appreciation for the church. I know many of us have been burned by the church. I know many of us have lost hope and faith in the church. But today, would you remind us the beauty of the body that you died for? And would you give us a vision and a dream to hope again for your, ch- your church and your community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you can't tell by now, I love the church. And people might say, of course, Pastor Mickey. I mean, you're a pastor. You get paid to love the church. No, listen, before I was a pastor, before I got paid a single cent, I love the church. I was that kid in youth group that would stay in the youth room past 2 a.m. putting up Christmas lights so that when people came on Sunday, they could enjoy the Christmas festivities. I was that kid in college that showed up to church at 8 a.m. in the morning, served in children's ministry, then went to college to serve as worship, then went to the meetings after and left at 10 p.m., I was that guy at the last church I was at where I was the facilities manager. That's how I began serving, which is a glorified term for basically I was cleaning the toilets. That's how much I love the church. And why do I do all this? It's because I love the church and I believe in it. I really do believe in the church. And maybe maybe you've been in a place where you felt the same thing, but maybe, I don't know, maybe something happened along the way. I think lately it's been kind of cool 
it's been kind of the trendy, cool thing to, to hate on the church, right? You know, these days it's very common to see on Instagram or Twitter, or on social media, Gen Z and us millennials just bashing on the church, criticizing the church. And honestly, probably a lot of our criticisms are warranted. The church has very much missed its mark. It's very common this, in this day and age to hear people say, I'm done with the church. I'm done with organized religion. This church thing isn't for me. I follow Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. Just the two of us, just me and God, it's just me and Jesus all the way. Lecrae posted a tweet this week that started up a firestorm in the Christian community. He said, I love Jesus, but I'm not churchy. I used to be embarrassed by that, but now I realize it's okay to love God, but not fit in with church culture. I actually love that tweet. But people began running away with this tweet and saying, amen, we don't need the church. The church is whack. All I need is Jesus. This was retweeted 27,000 times. But a lot of people didn't read the following tweets that were meant to be read in succession. What Lecrae was actually talking about was church culture. He's talking about the type of music we sing. Like, he's more into hip-hop. He's not really into the country stuff that we do. Um, he, the way that we dress at church, right? He just wants to be more casual instead of the suits. He was talking about church culture, but those tweets were only tweeted 600 times. But it gives us, it's this sentiment that perhaps this is a growing sentiment that people feel like they don't need the church anymore. In fact, if you've, ever, if you've ever heard Lecrae talk about the church, he actually very much believes in the power of the local church. But more and more, followers of Jesus are giving up on the church, and they're closing their hearts off to it. And like I said, it's not without reason. But I want us to look a little bit deeper. If you've been around here long enough, you know that I do my fair share of pointing out all the ways that we as as a church, have missed our mark. And sometimes I speak pretty harshly about the church and the ways we've messed up or misrepresented the gospel or Jesus. But hear me, church, I do so not because I hate the church, but precisely the opposite. I do so because I love the church and I'm very much a part of it. I do so not because I've given up on the church, but I believe the church can actually be more and do more. It's like I don't trust believers who, um, who criticize the church but haven't stuck around one long enough to actually be part of one. It's like if you invited a guest over to your family dinner, right? I invited Dan over to my family dinner. I'm giving him the honor and the privilege of meeting my parents, my cousins, my grandparents, everyone. I invite him over, and Dan, the whole night, he's just sitting there in the chair. This gravy, lukewarm. You guys hug too much. I don't like the music you guys play. What kind of coffee is this? Pete's? This family isn't doing enough for the neighborhood. What are you guys doing? Like, we would be like, who the hell do you think you are? Get the hell out of my house. Yet, so many of the people that are mounting criticisms against the church are not part of the church. It's like, you don't have the right to speak into this family unless you're willing to be part of this family and call this family your own. At the last church I was pastoring at, we always get these people where they come in and, you know, they're the type of people that they come like once every few months, but then they'll go up to the pastor after every single service and be like, what kind of outreach ministry are you doing? 
why aren't you guys feeding the homeless? Do you know there's so many homeless on the streets outside of this church? How come you guys aren't doing a soup kitchen? And every week it's something new, but they're only coming like once every few months. It's kind of like, why are you criticizing the church when you haven't been a part of it? It's true that we have a long way to go in becoming the church that Jesus calls us to be, but hear me, we cannot give up on the church. Henry Nguyen, one of my favorite theologians, he says this, This is so good. This might just wreck you for the rest of the day. The church can be in the way of God, but it will never cease to also be the way to God. This is the heart paradox of the religious life. When we give up the church completely, we will end up by losing God. In other words, despite all its flaws, despite all the ways that we are hypocrites and we mess up, the church is still important to God. And if God hasn't given up on the church, we cannot either. Ephesians 5.25, spoken in the context of husbands and wives, but very relevant to us today. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I read this this week, and I was thinking, yo, sometimes when we're talking about the church, we forget that we're talking about Jesus's bride. It's like, okay, if someone came up to my wife, if someone came up to Krista and started talking crap about her, right? I mean, you know that Toby Nguyen song? It's like, try Jesus. Oh, no. But don't try me because I throw hands, right? It's like, how do we expect? Sometimes we speak about the church and we forget that this body, this church, is Jesus' bride. We have to remember that Jesus gave his life for the church. He calls the church his bride. That language speaks of the deepest intimacy imaginable. He loves the church. He cherishes the church. He believes in the church so much that he left so that the church could carry his work on in his absence. And Jesus calls us to have the same love and affection for the church as we have for him. This doesn't mean we gloss over the church's faults. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye when we need to confront and hold the church accountable, but it's a heart posture. It's a shift. We do so not out of anger or bitterness. We do so not out of a hatred or a resentment. We do so because we love the bride of Jesus. We do so because we love the church that Jesus loved and gave his life for. Maybe you used to feel this way about church. I don't know. Maybe it was in youth group or maybe even just a few years ago. It's like, I love the church. I'm all about this church life. But somewhere along the way, maybe you became disillusioned. You know, I can't tell you how many people have come to us in the five years we've been pastoring here in San Francisco. And, you know, they come that first week at church. They go through service like, pastors, I just need you to know this is the best church I've ever been to. I mean, the last church I was at, they were all hypocrites, but you guys are for real. You guys love so well. You guys really love God. You guys love the presence. You guys are perfect. And I'm just thinking in my head, oh, oh, you just haven't been around here long enough. You'll see. Uh, You'll see. And I wonder how many of us at one point in our lives felt this way about the church. We were excited about it. We're all about it. But at some point, we experienced disillusionment. You know, 
this is what in relationships we call the honeymoon phase. You know, if you've ever been in a relationship, you know there's that magic period. Like, I could see that they're still in it. You know, Paulette and Joe. I could see that, you know, Thomas and Patricia, they just got engaged. They, they in the honeymoon phase, right? You know, the honeymoon phase is beautiful, so sweet. Everything is perfect. Oh, my God, she is flawless. He is perfect. And our relationship is not like the other loves. It's not like those other couples that fight. We're going to make it, and we're going to love each other, cherish each other. It's going to be beautiful. But as soon as you get out of the honeymoon phase and things get hard, you start to see the flaws. Oh, man, that's actually where true love kicks. And in the church, that point is where most people bounce and say, "Mm -mm, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I imagined when I'm reading about the Bible, when I'm hearing about it. This is not what I had in mind. They had this perfect idea of what the church is, and then they became disillusioned. And maybe some of you are there in that place. That's okay. Because here's the thing. Disillusionment isn't necessarily a bad thing. Even the word, if you break it down, disillusion. It actually means breaking an illusion. Breaking an illusion, disillusionment. All right, this quote will wreck you. I, some of you are going to be melting on the floor. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors and who lives a remarkable life, he says this, The sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an invind- individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. And this is it. Check this out. He who loves his dream of a community more than that the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Whoa, just melt, melt, melt. If our dream of Christian community is more important to us than the actual community that we're faced with, We will never survive. Stick around long enough. I mean, some of y'all were with us in the beginning. You know, we hit that wall already. You know, it used to be so fun. We used to meet in that little upper room. Everyone loved each other. We were so happy singing. Now we got like barely any people showing up. People moved out of town. Like we're in a very transitional phase right now. We're not in the honeymoon anymore, y'all. But stick around long enough, and I promise you, this is my promise. This should be in every church welcome class. We will let you down. We will disappoint you. We will hurt you. As pastors, we will, we will mess up a lot. Stick around, and you'll experience disappointment and pain and hurt. But stick around, and I promise if you could push through the disillusionment, That's where you're going to find genuine community. That's where you're going to find a real church. This is precisely the place where we can truly experience the church as Jesus dreamed of from the start, when our illusions of church are broken and we're confronted with the real thing. Uh, John Mark Homer, in a message he was preaching not too long ago, was telling the story. He... um, 
brought his wife to a dinner. It was like a couple's dinner. There was like three or four couples there. And what they were doing, they were being so Christian. They were going around, and each person was sharing one advice they could give that they learned in this season to the other couples. And so all the people were saying really, like, Christian-y, beautiful things, really encouraging things. Then they get to one of his friends, and he just says one word. It's like, here's my advice. You ready? Stay. And people are, like, chuckling. They're, like, joking, being sarcastic. But, but there's something profound about that. Will you stay long enough to push through the disillusionment to get to the real thing? I don't, I don't think we value that enough in our generation, in our culture, to just stay and push through. Man, last Sunday was crazy. We had no idea that there was this big biker event that was happening. And so that entire street that you guys came in on for the people that are in person, some of y'all were there last week, like Maureen and Josh. You guys know what it's like. The entire street was filled with these teenagers and bicycles, like hundreds of kids, literally no open space. So we had no idea that was happening. We were doing church. And then we had a few open houses because we were looking to buy a house here in San Francisco. And we had to get out. But we realized there's a sea of people in our way. And so we're like, what do we do? We can't just like drive through them. And God bless him, our building manager, Trevor. If you've ever met him, he's a giant. But he's the most gentle, loving giant you can meet. But he's also really scary because when he's on your side, like he will little like he will literally kill someone. Like I really believe he will kill someone for you. Like that's how much he is loyal, how much he loves. And so we were like stuck, and I was thinking, all right, I give up. We're gonna have to call an Uber or something or a Lyft. But he's like, uh, let, let me let me take care of this. And so he walks up. And he's like, just drive your car up and just follow me. And I kid you not, he was going through the sea of people, parting the red seas of teenage bikers for us so we could get through. And it's not a small, it's like a long street, right? Literally, we're going through a sea of people. He's just moving people out of the way when people aren't listening. Like, you could tell he gives a mean mug. And people are scared, people are moving, but we are pushing through. And that's what I imagine sometimes it feels like for us when we're pushing through our disillusionment where I feel like I have every right to hate the church. I have every right to give up on the church. But pushing through sometimes feels like a crowd of hormonal, angry teenagers on bicycles and getting through. But once we do that, once we commit to stay, once we commit to pushing through the disillusionment, we end up on the other side with a genuine community, a real church Listen, y'all, I know most of y'all, y'all been here long enough where you don't want the fake stuff. You want the real thing. I do too. I'm, I've been pastoring for so many years. I, I don't have time for all of that. I want the real thing, but this is what it takes. Opening our heart again and again. Man, Krista and I, we've been married for what, five years now? We just celebrated our five-year anniversary, y'all, a few months. And this is a marriage lesson. For some of y'all romanticizing marriage, this is what marriage looks like. Pushing through disappointment after disappointment after disappointment to love again. To keep my heart tender and open. To say, I'm still going to believe the best about you even though you hurt me. To say, I'm still going to believe in you even though you've let me down. To say, I'm still going to love you even though right now you're very unlovable. And when I think about the church not as an institution or like an empire or, you know, um, a Hillsong um, commercialized big production, nothing wrong with Hillsong. I love Hillsong. But when we cease to see the church as a bride, 
that Jesus loves and adores. It's hard for us to stay and push through that disillusionment, but that is exactly where we find true community. And this is what I believe where we're at today. If the pandemic did anything, it broke any and every illusion about the church that we had in our minds. Oh, we're not over racism as much as I thought we were, right? Oh, we're not as tight-knit of a family as I thought we were. As soon as you take away the Sunday gathering, I haven't talked to this person in over a year. Some of y'all haven't talked to your fellow church members in over a year. I feel that conviction through the camera. Oh, without the Sunday gathering, the live band and the motivational speaker, Enneagram Type 7 speaker that's supposed to pump me up, my walk with God is virtually non-existent. All the illusions that we had about church and about faith really were challenged, weren't they, during this pandemic? But this is an opportunity. This is the moment. This is exactly where we can be and experience the most authentic, genuine version of church if we're willing to stay, if we're willing to open our hearts again. As our city reopens, I believe that God is calling us to reopen our hearts to the church. And there are three specific things really quick that I'm just going to breeze through. Three ways that, because I know you all love practical, at least here in our community, here in our church, that we can do to open our hearts once again. The first, we have to reopen our hearts to the gathering. Remember when we used to gather every single Sunday? Doesn't it feel like impossible now? Like, I can't believe every, like, once a week, right? Four days a month, I used to go to church on Sunday. Now, now it feels weird if I go once a month. Like, it's already too much. Doesn't that seem like a lot now? But we forget that the early church used to gather every single day. And so I'm excited, 99, to announce that we're going to do Sunday service every single, no, I'm just kidding. Which means there's something important about the gathering of God's people. Real quick, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly, love that word, to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. During the pandemic, we had to shut down our gathering and while doing so was good, we did it to protect ourselves, to protect our neighbors, to care for the vulnerable and do our part in helping the city, but this by no means was meant to be the norm. While the pandemic taught us that we as the church put way too much emphasis on the Sunday gathering, that's not to say that the Sunday gathering isn't important. It's very important. So much so that the early church met together every single day. And right now I'm speaking to y'all, but I'm speaking mostly to you guys on the live stream. Maybe you felt or feel the limitations of doing church online this past year. You know, not being able to hear people, like some of y'all heard your voices for the first time and you were appalled and you just couldn't, it took you out of the glory of God, right? It's like not being able to hear others sing and worship next to you. You find it harder to pray, not hearing the prayers of the saints that's increasing your faith, not being able to see people face to face and feel connected as a community, the little side conversations before and after service that you took for granted, that you hated, now you realize were actually pretty meaningful. The gathering is important. 
And so as our church reopens, I believe God is calling us to respond with a radical recommitment to the gathering. Now, I want to speak to those who are joining us online. I'm not just talking about in person. Perhaps more than ever, the digital atmosphere has given us permission to slip in and out of church unseen and unknown, not having to interact with people, not having to risk being vulnerable. But nothing about this way of church, doing church, can build genuine community. Nothing about this results in belonging. And so I know there's still a great many of us who are in the process of getting vaccinated, who are still joining us online, and that is okay. This is not a pressure to join us in person, but I believe that there's also many of us who have been forsaking even the virtual digital gathering on Sunday. Come on, there's a conviction. I mean, we've pretty much done it too, where on Sunday morning, you know you ain't there because you got the podcast later during the week. Come on, I'm, I'm preaching, right? Y'all, y'all feel that conviction? And listen, that's okay. Like, it's good to listen to podcasts, but don't get it twisted. That's not church. Listening to a sermon on Tuesday morning is not church. And so even if you're not with us in person, the virtual gathering, being together there at the same time, listening to the same word, recalibrating our hearts to God's truth as a church, as a community is absolutely important. And so this isn't just for those of you who are vaccinated, who feel safe coming in person. This is for y'all on the live stream that aren't coming in yet. I would, I would challenge you to recommit your heart to the Sunday gathering, even if it's virtually. And you know what? While you're at it, drop a comment in. Say something, right? Say hello. At least say good morning. Show us that you're there because we are called to recommit right now to the gathering. Many church networks are saying that when everything is completely open and churches are completely open, they estimate that the in-person congregations will be roughly 40 to 60% of what they once were. But you know what? I'm an Enneagram type seven. I am an optimist. And I believe that we can beat that statistic. But it's only if we open our hearts, reopen our hearts once again to the beauty of the gathering. And so let's do that, church. And then just one more thing. Reopen our hearts to the gathering and reopen our hearts to contributing. Romans 12, 4 through 5, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The Bible says that each of us have a grace given to us to contribute to the body of Christ, meaning that the church is incomplete without what you bring to it. We are many body parts, and each part is important. Imagine if one day my foot looked at me like, yo, Mickey, I got yoga peace, and my foot just left. Like, my entire being would have to reorient itself. My foot is that important. In that way, every single one of us are so important to the church. You matter to the body. You matter to the local community that you are a part of. I've been in ministry long enough to see trends of people, when they're at their real low lows, come back to God, come back to church, because they need community, they need encouragement, And then as soon as things stabilize and things start getting busy, they bounce. And they never stay long enough 
to go from just receiving and consuming to begin contributing. Listen, our, our baby son that's growing up in that womb right there, I have no problem, you know, changing his diapers, you know, loving him, feeding him, sleeping him. I mean, it's going to take a toll on us. Looking at my best friend, he aged like, like Obama did in the two years since they had their baby, right? Like, it's, it's, it's more stressful or as stressful as the presidency, right? And I have no problem doing that, but best believe when my baby's growing up, I am not going to be wiping his butt. I am not going to be doing his dishes for him. I'm not going to always pay his bills. At some point, we have to mature into a place where we begin not just consuming or receiving, but we begin contributing. That's the maturity. That is the process of discipleship. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where it's all about consumerism. How many TV shows can we consume, right? How many Marvel shows do we really need? Actually, we need a lot. How many Star... Actually, Star Wars, we need a lot too. But every other show, we don't need that much. How, much. how many TV shows can we consume? How many Apple products can we buy? How many clothes can we own? And sadly, that's rubbed off on the church. Church has become about what can I get? But check this out. The early church was not asking, what can I get? They were asking, what can I give? I promise I'm landing soon. Koreans are really weird. Sometimes we're really twisted. And there's this weird thing about wedding culture. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, when, when my parents and their friends start having children and they start going to the children's weddings, like, your parents will go to that wedding and they'll give very generously. But they'll also write the name down of their parents. Because the expectation is that you're going to give generously so that when your kid grows up and gets married, you best believe on that list they're going to give you back, right? It's a culture of, it's a very passive-aggressive culture of giving and receiving. And I believe that for us in the church, we have to move not just from consuming, but also to contributing. There are two ways to get life in community. The first is receiving from others. But the second way to get life in community is actually by giving. There's something we receive in giving that we can't receive in receiving. It's powerful. And so as our church reopens, I believe God is calling us to respond with a radical recommitment to contributing. And maybe that looks like recommitting to tithing. Maybe it looks like joining a ministry team. We need a lot of help here on Sundays as we're getting ready to ramp up, reopening our doors. Or maybe it's something like recommitting your time and energy to one another. Checking in on that CG member that you haven't talked to in over a year grabbing a meal with another church member, contributing yourself, your time, your energy, your gifts into the body. Reopening our hearts to the gathering and reopening our hearts to contributing. I had a third point, but I'm actually not going to say it. I'll save it for the next sermon. But all that to say, today I just want to stir your heart again to begin reopening our hearts to dream again, to say, God, will you soften my heart for your bride? Will you soften my heart for your church so that I can love your church as you've called me to, despite its flaws, despite all the mess. I want to open my heart again to what you've given us, the beauty of your body, the beauty of your church. So right now, why don't we respond? Why don't we close our eyes and let's respond in prayer. I don't know if this message resonated with you. Maybe you're in that season of disillusionment. 
Maybe you're in that place where you've given up on the church. You've just seen so much, been burned so much. But today I feel the invitation of God to say, let me open your heart again. You can trust me. You can trust that I'll protect you. You can trust that I'm working in the body even though it might not look like it. You could trust that I'm refining my church. I'm taking it through the fire so that it could be as beautiful as I've called it to be. And today, would you open your heart to say, God, I want to recommit myself, radically recommit myself to your church, to the body. And listen, forget about 99 for a second. I'm, I'm talking about the church, which is always expressed in local churches. And so I don't care if you go to 99 or you go to the Father's house or you go to any church here in San Francisco or the Bay Area. It's not about the empire we're building, but it's about the local churches that represent the body of Jesus, the universal church. And the way that we commit to the greater body is by committing to the local body. And so I'm longing for a season where God opens our hearts to dream again, to imagine a church that looks so different from the church that went into the pandemic, that we would dream for a church that cares more about justice than when it went in, a church that cares more about building real relationships than when it went in, a church that's less about consumerism, less about the outward things, the shallow things, and and longing for the real deep substance of building community. That's what we're after. And so God, would you open our hearts? Would you soften us and lead us in that way? We love you, God. We know that you're here with us.